0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Vigilant Geek Podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media, and with me here is...
1: Holden Orm of Vigilant Geek Media
0: as well. And this week, we are going to bring you as much information as we could dig up regarding Vertigo Comics. So why don't we start off let's kick off this cast uh and just give us uh, a little bit of background information uh regarding the vertigo label
1: yep this will be our little ode to vertigo segments um so if you're not familiar with them uh vertigo is owned by d c comics it was created for stories that didn't fit the comics code guidelines that was, and it was started back in nineteen ninety three um this included a lot of stories that were just more mature and stuff a lot of the later stories like the doom patrol and constantine and uh and hellblazer were uh were included in this um, vertigo today as of 2010 all vertigo titles became uh creator owned so all dc properties returned to dc so if you were reading The New 52 and it started back out and you started noticing characters like The Swamp Thing and John Constantine in in books involved in the continuity of actual DC comics, that's why. And uh, so we're going to go ahead and give you some background and some of our favorite books. Uh, and uh, we'll give you a little information on uh, Hellblazer.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of I mean, there's a plethora of Vertigo titles to talk about. We took a handful of some of uh, the most infamous ones. There's this is certainly you know what we what we cover here today is not all that Vertigo has to offer, but it we're going to discuss some of the the you know real heavy hitting titles today. So uh, sorry to interrupt, Olden, but let's get back to Hellblazer.
1: So. Hellblazer was started in 1988. It was based on a, crea- a character called John Constantine, a uh, Englishman who dabbles in the dark arts. Uh, the character Constantine was actually created by Alan Moore and Stephen R. Bissett. He first appeared in 1985 in Saga of the Swamp Thing, number 37. Um, the Hellblazer comic took on uh real mature issues, Um Wrote a lot about, uh, different things having to do with the dark arts and dynamic possessions, and it was just a real dark, mature book, and it lasted, uh, I think the total run was about 300 issues, which is extremely long, if you think about that. Comics are released monthly in the United States, so 300 issues. Let's see, it started in 1998 and it ended in, uh, 2010. <laughs> so, wow. So that's, uh, I'm gonna do some quick math here.
0: I'm wondering if that might have been the longest run, uh, of any Vertigo title or, uh, I mean, I know there's some other ones that ran a long time too uh like 100 bullets and stuff like that but. no I, I
1: i believe you'd be right in saying that uh hellblazer was the longest running vertigo book that they uh they ever had on the label wow i oh, don't know never mind i'm trying to like <laughs> scribble some math over here when i should just be using my cell phone that's on my right
0: oh yeah there's a calculator on there yeah yep. <laughs> much easier <laughs> but yeah Hellblazer, uh, one of the most successful, uh, in one of the first Vertigo titles.
1: Then, uh, so, I mean, one of the great, the Vertigo is probably one of the first label of comics that I, uh, really got into seriously when I actually started seriously reading comics. Uh, I think it was, like, around 2021, 20, I I'd kind of run out of books that i'd had heard of a cult following as far as normal novels were concerned and i wanted to get into something that was mature and complicated but also showed artwork so it's like another portion of storytelling that i could enjoy and i I started off reading um reading vertigo comics um specifically uh uh, Sandman someone had recommended it to me and it was just like it was just so different from anything else i'd ever read
0: Oh yeah you won't find any other story quite like Sandman i'm only halfway through the volumes uh and we'll get into Sandman a little bit more later but it's just each volume is just takes your mind to a place it's never been before and that's you know, really how you can describe that story in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, I mean, also, uh, a lot of extremely influential stories that have just completely changed the way artists and writers portray stories and convey their stories to the medium of, of comics in general have have been done through... The Vertigo label um, None quite so Well actually Probably one of the more Highly regarded ones Or the most highly regarded one Would be uh, Watchmen By uh, That was done by Alan Moore
0: Oh yeah Watchmen was a real game changer In the graphic novel medium uh, Mainly because Prior to that uh, Although a lot of writers At that point in time We're talking the 80s At, at this point uh, You know A lot of writers were trying to take, uh, the tones of their books, you know, to a, a little bit of a, a darker, more serious place. If you look at, uh, you know, a real prominent example of this, uh, in the mid-80s with The Dark Knight Returns, you get Frank Miller trying to incorporate a lot of serious political issues into a Batman-Superman story, basically. Uh, well, Vertigo basically did the same thing, and, and Alan Moore can really uh, be the one accredited to getting some of these titles off the ground, and the first real title that Alan Moore wrote uh, that really started to take critics uh, and, and, and draw their attention to the medium as a whole and realize, hey, the graphic novel medium... It, it's not just for kids, they're not just funny books anymore uh, It's a whole different uh, art form That can be used to tell Very deep emotional stories So, uh, premise of Watchmen uh, Basically, Alan Moore uh, Raises the question uh, of What would happen in society If Mass vigilantes and
1: superhumans existed in real life. That's exactly where he took it. I uh, just, uh, what if people actually put on costumes and went out and fought crime? And it was, uh, he put a real realistic take on it. Um, that talked about the, like, uh, this early age when people started doing it and then some companies, some corporate companies would have their own vigilante, like to guard the bank.
0: Right, dollar bill.
1: Right, yeah. right. And then uh, and they'd all just get together, and they were doing this thing. And then eventually um, part of the story was just uh, they ended up getting phased out. They got old. Um, and I believe the government started cracking down on them. And then uh, – Yeah, there was
0: that statute, that, that fictitious statute that got passed. I, the name escapes me. But uh – this act, this government act, uh, basically re- required uh, they cri- they required uh, they outlawed masks. They didn't require them to register. I'm thinking of civil war. No, they they uh, outlawed masks.
1: Right. Uh, and remember, yes. And then that's when the comedian actually ended up becoming an agent for the federal government. So technically, he could still be around and wear his mask, but he's working for them. So right. okay.
0: And, uh, you know, you got some of the team members, the Watchmen, that uh, continue uh, with their status quo, like people like Rorschach, who uh, is sort of an anti-hero to begin with, uh, who decides, you know, F the government, I'm going to keep, you know, fighting the good fight. And then you got other people like Night Owl and Silk Spectre that...
1: Uh, or just happily, like, Try, trying just, to settle down. Yeah, trying to live in a world that's insane and, uh, and trying to cope with, with life after being a superhero. But, uh, one of the most compelling things I found about the story was when the character of Ozzy Mendes decided that he was just such a brilliant guy and he up and decided he was like, I'm going to find out how to create world peace. And the way he did it was just, crazy he goes and he creates this fake alien invasion and ends up killing millions of people in new york they try to stop him and he's like like that only happens in the movies when someone gives away their plan before it actually happens everybody died like 15 minutes ago right and they had to cover it up to keep the world peace because the entire world was just scared like terrified that aliens were going to appear out of nowhere again and kill everybody and this is just one of the—it's unprecedented in and co- in, in comics before that, because never before had such a, uh, an event of mass violence taken
0: place. Oh yeah, sure. And there's lots of other uh, hidden themes uh, throughout the book too. Uh, there's this side story, this backstory uh, called the Black Freighter uh, that sort of mirrors the main uh, storyline uh where this uh sailor gets shipwrecked and things get more and more brutal as the story uh ensues, and sure enough in the main storyline things are happening in the same type of intensity uh so yeah basically Ozymandias, it, in in the process of creating world peace uh what he in fact does is kill billions of people in New York City, uh, and r- that raises the question of, uh, you know, is it, is it ethical to kill billions of people to, s- or kill millions of people to save billions of people or what have you, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, when it comes right down to it, uh, very sophisticated story, and if you're thinking about getting into the graphic novel medium, this is, as close to mandatory reading as it gets.
0: This would probably be the title I would start with uh, if I was a fresh reader who uh, was looking to get into the graphic novel medium. Uh, I know it's recommended almost everywhere to start with Watchmen.
1: And then, uh, I mean, Alan Moore has done a lot of uh, other great things. Uh, actually, he did Watchmen in 1986 from to 1987, and then... He followed that up with V Vendetta, which went from 1988 to 1989, and it is just another amazing story by him.
0: Wow, he was busy in the late 80s, huh? Yeah. And then uh, The Killing Joke was in there somewhere in the 80s too.
1: Yeah, I don't know, maybe he mean multitask. There are a lot of writers out there who uh who, who write multiple books
0: at once. Yeah, I, I don't know how they do it, but
1: Yeah, no, it must just be like crazy stress. A lot of drinking, a lot of coffee.
0: Oh yeah, but V for Vendetta, um, which follows right up with more mandatory reading. Yeah, like, pick these titles up if you are a new reader.
1: Um, v for Vendetta itself is it's kind of a it's dark in itself as well. Uh, it takes place in a futuristic uh, England where it's there's a fascist state that was brought on um, the uh, the government staged uh, a giant plague that came out and said it was caused by immigration. Um, The state ends up taking control. A lot of people are ended up putting under put under this uh, fascist regime and they started doing experiments on people. And one of these people is would be the main character of the book V. Um, He was held behind door number five. You don't really know much about the character, but I think he does does that on purpose Um, and then what it turns out is just, he ends up going on this vigilante spree where he's taking down people who may know of who he is and giving the people away to show that like you're, you're shining light on the fact that they are being put on this fascist regime regime. And in the end makes it so that everyone else can go ahead and stand up for themselves and he makes that point by uh, blowing up a lot of important buildings and just completely messing with them and uh, I almost kind of view it myself as kind of like uh a more happier nineteen eighty four. If you've ever read nineteen eighty four. Oh yeah, it's a very, Orwell. or,
0: very Orwellian story.
1: There, Extremely yeah. dark. But in in V for Vendetta it actually gives you uh a a protagonist slash antagonist who you can Really root for, and is actually just sticking it to the man.
0: Oh, it's probably the best example of that too. If you really want to read a story of, you know, uh, the little guy rising up against the man, yeah, absolutely. That that is the book to read for that.
1: And then uh, another thing he did is he actually took the symbolism of uh, Guy Fox. He was a terrorist who uh, plotted to blow up Parliament in England. It's a holiday they celebrate it every November fifth. Well, here they go and he turns that character into a, a sympathetic anti-hero and he wears the guy Fox Max mask and uh and he goes about doing all this stuff and then just kind of ties in that story. And uh it's really good. I also highly recommend that.
0: Hmm. Excellent. Yeah, and uh just imagine we'll talk about uh Vertigo TV and film projects later on, but, uh, in, in case, you know, you've been living under the metaphorical rock, uh, both Watchmen and V for Vendetta have both been made into feature films, uh, which are both worth checking out, to be honest, uh, they're both good and they follow the source material, uh, pretty closely. I mean, uh, Watchmen deviates a tad, uh, but not too much, not in any way that would, uh, change the story enough to piss off any fans, yeah. you know.
1: Uh, well, V, v for Vendetta also had a slightly adjusted ending as well, but, like, the the tone and the overall moral of the story still stays true, even with the alternate ending. Excellent. So, uh, moving right along, probably, as far as an ongoing series is concerned, with Vertigo Comics... Sandman is probably the highest, most influential one. The Hellblazer is certainly influential in its own and it had a lot of staying power, but it doesn't even come close with the imagination and storytelling and overall effect on the genre that Sandman had.
0: Oh, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, Sandman may be somewhat of a horror tale uh similar to hellblazer but it's really it's so much more than that it's just it's it, almost hard to really put it in a genre there's a lot of
1: horror aspects to it and there's a lot of fantasy a aspects a lot of fantasy
0: aspects to it as well absolutely um but yeah sandman is just what it offers is just a complete escape from reality that's
1: that's really it takes you into uh the realm of the dream yeah so, The Sandman, written by Neil Gaiman, extremely well-known author. Perhaps you've heard of him. <laughs> um, I mean, and, he, and his Sandman run went from 1989 to 1996. That's I mean, a long run. It is a very long run, one of the longer runs uh, of the Vertigo line.
0: Like I said, I'm reading that run right now. I'm only halfway through it. Uh, it's just been... I've, it's it's just been unbelievable i've been floored each time i put down a volume uh you know i almost have to give my brain a little rest just because it's been so overworked from working out all the little angles that gaiman puts into his stories because he really is uh, uh a he's sort of a human treasure box of uh of stories and his different plots they 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 just wrap around each other so well uh it's just excellent reading.
1: He is a master wordsmith. Sandman, um, if you're going to generally describe it, it would be the story of Dream of the Endless. The Endless being uh, the seven entities that are all related, um, and they all control or their their domain is over an aspect of certain aspects of reality. You have Destiny... Death, Dream, which would be our main character, Desire, Despair, Delirium, and Destruction. And, uh, they, they all start with these. I, I don't which know. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, just get the nice little thing going on there. But, I mean, they're all very important aspects of just, like, being alive and reality and all. And, uh, Dream's main responsibility is to, he's pretty much the Lord of the Dreaming. Um,. Almost a god, but not worshipped. He's like a uh, part of the universe almost. And he governs everything having to do with dreams. And uh, the early stories start out with he ends up getting captured and he was in prison for like a 100 years. And then that's when the book starts out. And then it shows how he'd changed and how his captivity had changed him. And it goes on. It's... Several books. Um, Some story arcs last maybe twelve issue, twelve issues. Some story, some stories are a lot of. They have a lot of short stories as well. That, and all in all, it uh, it goes on and it is they uh, go along this path to show the evolution of this one character. But Neil Gaiman will do some things where he'll go and he'll tell a story about a character. Who he'll just make up or has nothing to do with Dream directly. Right. And sometimes Dream isn't the main character of the story. Sometimes he'll be just, uh, not even a supporting character, but he will just like, he'll make a brief appearance. Like he'll just guest star in some of these stories. But he,
0: even, even still, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's almost clever how Gaiman does this because he takes the main character of the story, and he essentially makes it so that uh, the main character is not the main character. But at the end of each story arc, you learn a little something more about the character of Dream, of Morpheus, which is another name he goes by. Uh, you learn a little something new about him each time, whether you see him for a few panels or whether he plays a major part uh, in whatever story arc is being told, but it's a really cool way uh, to develop a character without really focusing head-on, uh, focusing on the character itself, uh, which is cool.
1: Um, yeah, and then springing out of Sandman uh, would be kind of a controversial title. It uh, would be Lucifer. It's also going to be a very
0: controversial uh television series too. We'll get into that obviously, but
1: uh So, the this particular uh creation of Lucifer actually springs out of the Sandman books and he ended up getting his own title. Uh his first appearance was in Sandman number 4 and uh and then he appears again in the Sandman story Seasons of the Miss. What happens is Lucifer goes, and he's like, I'm tired of being the king of hell, and I don't want to do it anymore. So he kicks everyone out of hell and invites Morpheus to come over, and then he hands him the keys. They're like, here you go. Here are the keys to hell. Bye. And (laughs) Morpheus is just sitting there with the keys to hell, and he doesn't know what he's going to do. There are all these damn souls outside, like, pining to get back in because they just feel guilty. And then the story goes is that all these different deities from all the realities are trying to find loopholes and, and claim hell for themselves. So they all go and, um, they all lobbied to Morpheus and they're all waiting over in the dreaming and they're, they're being treated like ambassadors and stuff, but he can't make a decision because he, these deities are extremely powerful and he can't, can't have them messing around with the dreaming. And in terrible ways as powerful as dream is and as much things as he can do. He just, he just, this is something he doesn't want to deal with. So eventually what it is, is, um, the host to heaven sends two angels and he's like, all right, well, you know what? Hell actually belongs to you. Here are the keys. They go all the damned come back in. But out of that comes the story of Lucifer. And, uh, this, the story of uh, this particular Lucifer, in general, um, is not something that uh, kind of a different take on the devil. He's certainly a bastard in his own way, um, but what he does is he goes and he opens up a piano bar in Los Angeles, <laughs> and then uh, there are these other what a bastard! There are these other um, gods out and about, and they're they're granting people all these wishes. So the host from heaven gets in contact, and he's like, all right, well, can you deal with this for us? And he's like, well, I don't want to deal with this for you. It's like, if you deal with this, we'll give you whatever you want. He's like, you know exactly what I want. And like, all right, well, if you want it, you can have it. And I'm like, okay. So he goes, and he tricks this girl into coming on a journey with him. And they go, and he tricks her into disposing of the gods, because they're granting all these wishes. And they're like, give me my brother back, blah, 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 blah. And he's so pissed off because her brother was accidentally wished dead. And she's just like, I wish you'd all die. And they grant her wish. And then they're dead. And then any opportunity to bring her brother la- back to life is gone. And Lucifer is like, well, nope, you already did it. They're gone now. Have fun. And then he leaves her. <laughs> and he ends up getting his wish, which is a letter which allows him to go back to before the universe was made and what he does is he creates his own universe he goes to where the beginning was and then he ends up um, saving his brother Michael who was captured and he's in such bad shape so he lands the killing blow on him and, he bl- and he's got the demiurgus in him and the power and then all the power bursts forth and then this whole new universe is created on the other side and then he goes about morphing and changing it and then the rest of the story of Lucifer is him dealing with people who keep trying to pick fights with him, but they always lose. Hmm. Um, People from the Host of Heaven pick a fight with him. Other gods end up picking fights with him. A lot of people hold a grudge against him because he's just so arrogant, but he's damn near omniscient. But, like, he doesn't go picking fights with other people. They just start it, but he just finishes it. And... And it's some of the best fantasy I've ever read. I really enjoyed the series. It was written by Mike Carey. And, uh, now it's, uh, I guess they're, they're a uh, pilot's in development for Fox television. Uh,
0: that's correct. Yeah. Um, it's in development, uh, mm-hmm. along with, uh, the Preacher TV series. Uh, they're both in development right now. And, uh, we should be able to look forward to both those series sometime next year. Um, not a lot of information has been uh, presented yet for either series, uh, but like I said, we'll get into that uh, when we start talking about TV and film as a whole. But um, yeah, hell, uh, Lucifer sounds pretty damn cool. I have not picked it up myself, but when I finish the Sandman run, which I should finish soon. I'll have to dive right into that, because that seems like the logical choice after Sandman.
1: Absolutely, man. Hey, if you ever get some time, I got the books uh, in the storage unit. If you ever just want to pick them up, that way, you know, could save some cash.
0: Yeah, um breaking the fourth wall again here uh holden and i actually uh share a storage unit in danvers mass um <laughs> it's it's actually at extra space storage it's it's a nice facility they have air conditioning there and it's indoors so everything stays nice and dry and uh and, we, we we like it there
1: and and there's comic books there <laughs> well in our, yeah in our
0: storage unit there's there's too many it's, it's mainly comic books i think that are in the storage unit so, a whole room full of books. Yeah. So, um getting back on task though, but if you hey, if you're looking for a storage unit, extra space storage, Danver's Mass, give them a call. Well. They'll accommodate. Their prices aren't very good, but uh
1: like I said, your stuff will stay dry and uh yeah. I don't know. We should stick to advertising for other people for free if we actually like are getting paid for them. Actually, it doesn't make any sense because I just said for free, didn't I? You did. Uh, disregard. I wasn't quite dis- sure about that. Dis- disregard that. Yeah. This uh,
0: uh this brings us to uh, a story from Vertigo called "Why the Last Man," written by another very uh, famous Vertigo writer, who's also he's written for a lot of other labels too. But uh, he he made his uh, impression in Stone. It, with Vertigo Comics, uh with Why the Last Man along with X Machina, but Why the Last Man uh is basically a story about a uh, a futuristic tale about a plague that wipes out uh from what I understand, wipes out all of all me- uh men with the Y chromosome. Yep, and, all uh, males. All males. So there's this one uh young guy that's left and his pet monkey, who's also a male Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, that's about all I know. It's sort of the story of literally, you know, wh- what would happen uh, to the last man on earth.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a real interesting story written by Brian K. Vaughn. Uh, done lots of other stuff, like Ex Machina, as Andrew said. Uh, I believe he also has writing credits on Lost. The story where everyone got lost on the island. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I did. He's done uh he's done a of writing on TV. Um, I'm not too familiar with most of his stuff, but I knew that one. So you know, if you're ever at a cocktail party, go ahead and drop that. I uh, read Why the Last Man, and he also wrote for Lost.
0: And uh, the the title he's working on right now, I, the artwork especially impressed me. I haven't read it, so I don't know about the story, but. Uh, Saga. I know you're a big fan of that title. Ooh, I am. And, uh, I'm not sure what label that's under. Uh,
1: um he's doing that title under Image, which I do believe we will get around to doing, uh, oh, yeah. Anode Image. We're gonna have a big Image podcast, no worries there. Very, uh, very sure. But he's, uh, he's writing that, and, uh, the art is being completely done by Fiona Staples. And she's doing an amazing job. Oh,
0: God, she is incredible. I would like to take any of her panels from that book, as I flipped through it and looked at the artwork, and just, you know, talk about wall art. Imagine just having, you know, one of her panels blown up into a big frame and just put on the wall. I mean, I could stare at that for... Well, I love staring at things, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have an issue with that, but anyways, um, so let's talk a little bit more
1: about this book. So, why the last man? Um, yeah, uh, when it comes out, you get this occurrence at the beginning of the book. You have no idea what the occurrence is. It leaves Ob. Uh, it's just at one given moment in time, all of a sudden the world goes straight to hell, and every male on the face of the earth just ups and dies, with the except, uh, exception. Of one Yorick Brown, our main character and our protagonist. Um, there's nothing particularly special about Yorick. Uh, he's just trying to put himself through magic school. He learned how to like get out of stuff. Big Houdini fan. He's got a pet ca- capuchin monkey. That was also, I guess, one of the last males on Earth. Um. So what it goes through is. Um, he spends the story, they travel across the United States, he ends up meeting with, uh, uh, Secret Service agent, uh, which I can't remember her name, it's been a little bit since I picked Buck up, but they go and they, uh, they head across the United States and they it just shows them getting into certain, uh, situations and it shows how the world has changed now that men are no longer around. Now that men are no longer around, females are there themselves, and they're the only ones in the society and this is what happens is just kind of give everyone a kind of a look at like what would happen if we, women were running the show and um, I mean it shouldn't be too crazy to be an idea because women should be involved in things but the in this particular story they uh think all men are dead and this and then uh, just shows their long journey they kind of try to find out why why the mass extinction happened um and they have lots of adventures And then uh, you get to the end of the book And It just kind of shows how York becomes more of a man because of this And Then there's uh, the end Which Brian K. Vaughn Kind of he, he, The way he puts it is he never is Finished With a story he just Kind of Takes a break from them for a while I don't know if that's the right way to go about it but The end of the story, it's kinda depressing but realistic and, but the journey itself of, uh, the the actual stories itself is actually incredibly interesting. You get this great dynamic, this great idea for a story and he executes it extremely well.
0: Excellent. And, uh, you know, going right along with the same author, uh, we can also touch upon Ex Machina a little bit too. Now, Uh, from what I understand, Brian K. Vaughn's, uh, graphic novel story, Ex Machina, I haven't had a chance to read that one yet. Uh, it's much different from the film that just came out. It's a totally different story. They're totally
1: different properties. Yeah,
0: okay. That's what I thought.
1: Yeah, that they, uh, whoever made that movie, they, it's got the same name, but it has nothing to do with this particular book.
0: Um, gotcha.
1: So, Ex Machina itself is another Great idea for a story. It's uh, also written by Brian K. Vaughan and uh, the arts by Tony Harris. It went from 2004 to 2010. This The idea for this book must have came out right after 9-11 because Ex Machina takes place in a slightly different reality from ours. But the main similarities is that 9-11 happened in ex machina as well you have the main character mitchell 100 he ends up getting caught in this explosion this green box and it allows him to communicate with machines and his mom's boyfriend ivan is like oh you got powers you need to become a hero so he tries but he ends up becoming just like a laughing stock of a hero just a terrible hero he ends up designing this jet pack, flies around, can hardly even stop purse snatchers. So till one day when 9-11 happens, one of the planes hits one of the buildings. The second plane never hits the other building because Mitchell's flying alongside it. He's concentrating so hard that his nose is bleeding and escorts the plane to land. And during this time, wow. he was actually... Decide He was like a civil engineer, and he decided that he was going to go ahead and he was going to run for mayor, which he never had a chance in hell. But then he saves the second tower and all the people on the second plane, and then all of a sudden, everyone's like, well, he's a hero, and they vote for him. And now he is the mayor of New York City. Wow. So the story of Ex Machina takes place is the story of Mitchell 100 being more of a hero by being a politician and being the mayor— Then in the past, when he was the Great Machine, that was his hero name.
0: The Great Machine, cool. That is a wicked cool concept.
1: Yep, and then it goes along, and then it turns out that there's this alternate dimension that was actually trying to use him to invade their reality, and he kind of fought against it, and, um, I mean, it's really compelling storytelling, um... And it just kind of gives you an outlook of like, just because you got powers, or just even if you have power in general, like, like there are different ideas to what people, what, who people are, who are considered heroes, because in there that they, they, they touch along a, a lot of uh political hot button subjects, um, like abortion and gay marriage and other things, and he's kind of like an independent. Candidate, so like depending on how he feels on certain issues, and it's it it, it makes politics a lot more interesting than it, I guess it normally would be.
0: Oh yeah, it definitely seems so. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, if you're a Brian K. vaughn fan and you have not read X Machina, do so now. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, uh. Brian K. Vaughn is just another one of those out of the box thinkers that uh, have has helped uh, make Vertigo Comics what it is today. Uh, and if you're looking to get into uh, some of his work, uh, the two titles to start with would definitely be Why the Last Man and Ex Machina. Um,
1: so I guess moving right along, let's let's get into something that uh, is truly a love and joy of Andrew Puzak. Now, if you're not you don't know already, Andrew is a enormous fan of the Fringe, but he is also, down to his core, a crime noir aficionado of the highest order. So, <laughs> uh, the best thing to talk about now would be Brian Azzarello and Edward Rizzo's 100 Bullets.
0: 100 Bullets, yeah. Well, wow. Um an aficionado, uh, I'm not quite sure if I'd go that far. I am a, an avid fan, though, of the crime noir uh, genre. Uh, and 100 Bullets is the crime noir book of Vertigo. It is the crime book to pick up. Uh, this series ran for an incredibly long time as well, Uh 100 issues, if I am not mistaken.
1: It stopped at uh, exactly a 100 issues. It went on for from 1999 to 2009?
0: It went on on for a straight decade, straight shot, straight decade of uh, this story being told. Imagine, just think for a second, being a a creator and uh, creating a story that lasts that long, that actually goes on for, for 10 years and comes full circle at the end perfectly, uh, in regards to continuity and, and, and that's exactly what 100 Bullets did. Uh, Brian Azzarella was able to, uh, just take this incredibly intricate tale about, uh, this secret organization called the Trust, uh, and, uh, the band of, I guess you'd call them,
1: uh, kind of enforcers. Like an, in,
0: yeah, like internal police, if you will. They police the trust. Uh, these, these people, these dangerous people called the Minutemen, uh, and you meet different Minutemen over the course of these hundred issues, and all of them have worked for the trust in the past, and some of them, uh, are allied with the trust and some are against the trust and some aren't really showing where their uh loyalty lies uh but more or less you have this uh one figurehead of the trust he's not you know he's not the uh you know the 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 leader of the trust but he's definitely uh you know the main mover and shaker uh agent
1: graves yeah i i think if i were to say he'd be more of like the the guy in charge of the minutemen
0: yeah yeah that's actually he's sort of like the nick fury of the minutemen i guess you'd say um now he hands these each of these minutemen who are uh uh sleepers now you know uh they,
1: oh yeah cuz a lot of them have their memory wiped after the specific event that happens in new jersey
0: right new jersey that's, that's a very important uh, occurrence which uh, helps the story come full circle uh, towards the end of the of the book i don't want to give it away to anyone who's looking to read it but uh you know a, as part of uh you know getting these minutemen back in the game agent graves hands each of them throughout the course of the book uh depending on where in the book each character is met uh, he gives them each uh, a briefcase, and in that briefcase is a handgun and 100 bullets for them to use as they see fit. The gun is uh, untraceable, the bullets are untraceable, and, you know, they can go, s- basically he gives them the the ultimatum, you know, do what you, you can either do nothing with this case. Well, and then or-
1: uh, he hands them a file with a photo of somebody.
0: Some, that's right, and that is like the last thing you need to know. Uh, thanks for reminding me. Um, in in these files, which is the the third component within the case, uh, there there's you know a s- background information on someone in that particular Minute Man's life that screwed up their life or hurt them in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's killing their loved ones or stealing from them or whatever it was. Um, so that gives them the motivation to want to use the briefcase and the contents inside to go uh, claim uh, retribution for themselves. And it's interesting to see how each of these individual Minutemen interact with each other um, with the whole uh, uh, briefcase endeavor mixed in with it. Uh, and to see in the end, you know, it's just this big, long, drawn out game of who's loyal to who. And it just, it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal read. If you're into crime, if you're into secret societies and conspiracy theories, if you're just into a well-written, well-thought-out plot to read, uh... I recommend 100 Bullets and Spades. Brian Azzarello, uh, is just an unbelievable, uh, plot mastermind. And Eduardo Rizzo's artwork, uh, just sucks you in. So, once again, uh, some really fundamental reading here for Vertigo. 100 Bullets. Classic. And, uh, they are looking to make a movie. Out of 100 Bullets I don't have, once again, all these Vertigo uh, Projects for TV and film There's not a lot of information released yet uh, So all I can really say at this point Is that uh, it's in the works But we'll have more information uh, As we come across it later on So anywho uh, let, I guess this brings us to The story of
1: Unwritten 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 is one of my personal favorites. I haven't uh, kept up in the series for a while. Uh, I had a lot of other comics that I had to pay for. for and uh, Mostly it's one of those stories that I like to pick up in graphic novel form when it's released in volumes. Um, Unwritten is every bit a a complicated story as you're going to read. um, And it really plays with these great ideas. Unwritten, the premise is, is that there's this guy named Tom Taylor his dad went ahead and wrote a bunch of stories in a series not unlike Harry Potter but the main character of the story was Tom Taylor so he writes all these stories about his son he's wrapping in his son in these stories so this this people who have this weird idea this weird strange line between is Tom Taylor an actual wizard is he like why is he writing about his son this way well as it turns out, there's this organization called the Cabal, and what they do is they use stories in order to uh, channel public opinion and control certain aspects of reality. And what it comes down to is an incredibly complicated, well-done fantasy story. And what it comes down to is what the power of people's belief can do. Eventually, it comes around that Tom Taylor realizes that he can do all the the sorcery and wizardry that the character Tom, Tom Taylor could do in the book. So his dad gave him powers for a reason to fight this cabal, and just with the overall story, he's uh, he goes along. He tries to end up like combating the cabal and. Coming along, trying to learn the truth of, of what, like, the power stories actually have. Um, and it's just a, a fantastic. Um, the artwork's done by Peter Gross. Uh, as good as a fantasy story as you're going to find anywhere. I don't want to get into it too much just because it gets real, real complicated. If I really got into it, I think we'd probably be here for, like, three hours. So, i I
0: well, we appreciate the, uh, abridged version then, uh, much appreciated. But, uh, sounds like a fantastic fantasy read. And while we're on the topic of fantasy stories, uh, another one that's certainly worth mentioning within, uh, Vertigo Comics
1: is, uh, Fables, which I understand, uh, just recently ended. It did. Uh, Fables, another personal favorite of mine. Um, the premise is, is that, once again, there are other different realities. And all these fables who ended up in story in, in these fairy tale books, they have a certain amount of people who read them and follow them, and that gives the people these fairy tales in our reality a certain amount of power and longevity. They're extremely hard to kill because of this. So what happens is is there's a, a uh, the adversary, and he they're just invading realities. So the refugees from all that come to our reality where there isn't much magic. And they occupy a street in New York, where they keep it hidden, and they all live there under a different charter, all these different fairy tales. And what they're doing is, they're trying to exist on our reality, trying to keep their actual existence and why they exist a secret, while at the same time, trying to fight the adversary. And the first 10 to 11 books, they're combating the adversary, you learn a lot of a lot about it. a lot of great characters like Snow White and the Big Bad Wolf, which would be known as Big B. Um you get boy stories about Boy Blue. You learn how much of a a rake and uh a, a lecher Prince Charming is. <laughs> uh
0: that's cool. I like that.
1: Yeah, and uh I mean it's just extremely well done. You get real attached to the characters. Um, it 's been going on since two thousand two uh issue one hundred and fifty actually came out in graphic novel form directly about last week and ended in two thousand and fifteen awesome and uh it 's actually touched uh ever since the the success of fables itself has affected um other forms of media too if you 've watched once upon a time on a b c that was the main uh Imaginary driving force behind that concept. That, uh, that these fairy tales are living in our reality secretly. Uh, the show is different from the book, but it it, it runs on the same premise. And, uh, and the same thing with a lot of other movies too. You got the Hansel and Gretel with guns, you got the oh, yeah. other Snow Whites, you got the Red Riding Hood book that came, uh, well not book, uh, movie that came out. So it's just exploring Here's, this idea on taking these characters, these properties who aren't all that, like, thought for kids or just old wives tales used to scare people, kids into bed and, and uh, stuff like that. And then they're, they're modernizing them to today. And, uh, and it's been very successful for them.
0: You know, speaking of fables and, and uh, modernizing, uh, classic stories, um, One of my favorite, uh, fables that has been, uh, brought to the big screen recently is, uh, Abraham Lincoln, the vampire. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. You got that mystical character, Abe Lincoln, who's been brought to our reality from, uh, another dimension, you know, and, uh, he's got his axe and he's going to chop down the cherry tree and, uh... You know, he's going to chop down some vampires, too, while he's at it. I mean, that movie just blew... No, nah, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> d- <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face anymore. Now, um, that had nothing to do with what Holden was talking about, and I apologize. But uh, I have picked up the first few volumes of Fables. The artwork looks incredible. And uh, now that I know a little bit more about the premise, I can't wait to dive into it. It's Excellent uh, stuff.
1: Um, I gotta few more titles to touch upon Uh, yeah
0: we just get a few more titles and uh and we'll talk a little bit about tv and film uh one of my other favorite vertigo titles now draw our attention to is uh probably the most grotesque morbid politically incorrect uh story that vertigo has ever been able to uh put out as of yet and that's saying a lot because these are mature t- mature titles uh you know vertigo is infamous for showing a lot of that uh blood and guts and skin that uh you know obviously the comics code the comics authority uh won't stand for so with that being said uh we have preacher So, this is basically the story of Reverend Jesse Custer, who is the Preacher, the main uh, character of the book. And this is uh, another one of those tales of heaven and earth, or sorry, heaven and hell, kind of like Lucifer. uh, But it's a little different. Basically, uh, what happens in Preacher is... God has chosen to quit his job, kind of in the same way Lucifer did, except he doesn't hand the, the, the key off to anyone else. Uh, he just ups and leaves. Now, there is this uh, power from this fallen angel, basically uh, one of the angels in heaven and one of the demons from hell met, consummated, had a baby... That baby uh, was then known as Genesis. Genesis uh, was then brought to earth and took the body of Reverend Jesse Custer uh, in the middle of one of his sermons. And the repercussions for that involve uh, his whole uh, parish going up in flames. Um, but... There's also some positive repercussions to that, too. Uh, Jesse Custer now has the power of the Word, basically the Word of the Lord, which means if he chooses to use the Word on someone, he can influence them to do anything that he wants them to do. So he finds out that God has up and left everyone in heaven, and he decides that God's going to answer to him. God's going to answer to Jesse Custer, so, he embarks on this big journey with his girlfriend, Tulip, uh, who's this, like, really sexy blonde chick that is sort of like, you know, he goes out and he, like, meets uh, angels and fights demons, and he comes back and has sex with her, then goes out and fights more demons and has more sex with her, demons, sex with her, demons, you know, you get the <laughs> idea. So, uh... That's what she brings to the tale. And then, you know, he has sort of like this uh, partner in crime that he rolls with. Uh, this uh, vampire named Cassidy, who is my favorite character of the book. He is just the coolest cat. Uh, he's got, like, 80s hair, and he's, like, dressed all in, like, the, you know, the the denim cut-off vest and all punk rock and everything. He looks like uh, he's uh, from The Clash. And... Uh, the cool thing about Cassidy is he's immortal. Well, he's not immortal, but being a vampire, he's very hard to kill. Uh, obviously the only way to really kill him is with a steak or with, uh, holy water. Uh, people don't realize that they go through these, uh, different adventures like, uh, in volume two when, uh, Cassidy gets mistaken for Jesse Custer and gets Captured by this religious cult Who Thinks that Cassidy is Custer And wants to kill him To gain the power of Genesis Though uh, Obviously uh, Jesse Custer Goes in, saves Cassidy The whole nine yards But it's just a really It's a cool tale about uh, A man who's Got no uh, Reservations about confronting God and saying, why aren't you doing your job? And that just, that alone is just the coolest premise to me. It's just, it's really neat. Uh, Garth Ennis writes it. He's known for very uh, provocative story arcs. In fact, uh, there's a neat little foreword uh, in one of the books that I recently read where he was discussing, uh, or it was actually the editor that was discussing the problems that him and Garth Ennis had with Vertigo with hey, you know, uh, we're gonna do this scene where you know these two prostitutes are going down on this guy while he's doing coke off another guy's penis, and there's a demon that pops into the room that ends up sticking a pitchfork up the guy's ass. Well, hey, can we can we put that in the book? I mean, you know, we're just we're just checking. You know, and I guess there was a lot of that, so there's a lot of holdups there because uh, it is, you know, when I say it's the most. Provocative vertigo title, it certainly is. If you are a highly religious person, do not read that book. If you are a very politically correct person, do not read that book. If you are squeamish in regards to blood, guts, or
1: extreme sexual
0: acts, don't read that book. If you're <laughs> cool with all those things, it's an excellent read. That's a very, very <laughs> high
1: recommendation. <laughs>
0: So um, this brings us to the last title that uh, we wanted to go over. It's actually more about uh the writer uh, than the title because uh, he's written a few things for Vertigo. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about Scott Snyder and his work on The Wake. Now, we also know that Scott Snyder, uh, he's had a very long run with American Vampire. Uh, it's also a Vertigo, Vertigo title. <clears throat> Pardon me. And, uh, you know, he's done all kinds of other great things in the medium. Uh, obviously, uh, he has done work, uh, for years now on Batman. He writes that. He's been writing that for four years, I want to say. Mm. Three or four years.
1: Uh, at least since, jeez, 2010. That was the since added. they
0: kicked off the new 52.
1: Yeah, since they kicked off the new 52. Well, so, but this, this on.
0: title, this specific title, this vertigo,
1: he was there before that. He did, uh, he was writing detective comics before Batman. But yes, this what did title. I
0: thought Tony Daniel was.
1: Well, no, he started off with the new 52, and when the new 52 came around, they switched him from, uh, detective comics to the, uh, the, uh, the title book.
0: Oh, I thought, okay, was he working on that with Tony Daniel, or they just switched those guys around?
1: Uh, they must have just switched them. Okay.
0: Interesting. Well, either way, uh, Scott Snyder is, I mean, if you're into the graphic novel medium, you've definitely heard his name. He's one of the more prominent writers uh, of, of this generation, for sure, if not the prominent uh, graphic novel writer. I mean, there's, there's many other great ones out there right now. But uh, this particular title that I want to touch upon, called The Wake, uh, once again, you have another what-if scenario here. Uh, that's a great thing about Vertigo Comics is they're really big on these what-if scenarios. It's like, Watchmen, what if mass vigilantes existed in society? Uh, V for Vendetta, what if one man stood up against a giant corrupt government? Uh, you know, 100 bullets what if i gave a guy a briefcase with a gun and 100 bullets in it and told them, you know this guy you know what i mean like you know what what's he going to do so these this is another one of those what if scenarios where uh it 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 depicts what mermaids and and there's been footage actually on national geographic that mermaids do exist and they're not and, and it's funny but it's not funny cuz they're not what you think. It's not, you know, Disney's little mermaid here, under the sea, under the <laughs> sea. No, these, these mermaids, and, and they're real. Uh, they're vicious looking creatures, they like got giant webbed hands and webbed feet and fangs and evil looking beady eyes, and they're just, they're gruesome looking. And, and Sean Murphy, who drew the book, The Wake, uh, he really captured, uh, just like, you know, how horrific, uh, an encounter with real mermaids would actually be. So we have a situation where there's a team, uh, of, of, of researchers on a submarine who are going down and they weren't given a whole lot of information, but they're going, uh, down below, way below sea level to, uh, investigate, uh, a life form and they find out it's, it's one of those mermaid creatures and the mermaid creatures, uh, they secrete this, this, uh, some kind of venom that makes you hallucinate. So before they kill, before they make the kill, because they are predators, um, they'll spray that venom on you and you'll hallucinate and there's just amazing panels drawn up by sean murphy about regarding uh you know there's this guy in the submarine who's fucking around with the mermaid and he gets sprayed and then he starts seeing his wife or his lover and he wants to try to go make out with the mermaid and the mermaid eats him and you know that's just one example of of you know just the great aspects of horror once again, Scott Snyder, who, you know, horror is his wheelhouse. I mean, he, uh, I mean, his mentor was Stephen King, uh, for Pete's yes, sake.
1: Yes, I, I believe he, uh, helped him out originally with American Vampire. I think it was one of the first books he, uh, he did.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you have a mentor like Stephen King, like, you know, it, it, never mind how talented Scott Snyder is in general, uh, you know, obviously he's gonna be a horror guru by the time, you know, Stephen King's done schooling him in the ways of, uh, dark fiction, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: No, so, I, I also really like The Wake. Uh, the first part of the book was very much a, uh, uh, a horror genre, but the second part of the book is after more when all of a sudden the yeah. mermaids pop up and they f- somehow find a way to Flood most of the land and there's not much fresh water and there's not much land and the mers got the, the run of the show and then, and then it very much turns into a f- futuristic dystopia and then it leads yourself along around and then ends up being a complicated, a very complicated story and it asks the question like, well what if humans are actually the aliens on earth? What if these mermaids are the original species and human beings are are the ones, are the visitors, are the ones that aren't supposed to be here.
0: Right. And I thought that was just, like, so trippy. Like, you just take a step back after you realize that that's sort of, like, you know, the main theme that they're going with, and it's just like, whoa.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I don't know. I can't get enough uh, Scott Snyder's writing as it is, and I love Sean Murphy's style. He also did a book for Vertigo called uh, Punk Rock Jesus.
0: Oh, God, wh- yeah.
1: That which- was... Which in itself was a, a story about what if they cloned Jesus for a reality TV show. This is another what-if
0: tale, another Vertigo story that we probably should have included. I'm glad you brought it up. Punk rock Jesus,
1: yeah. So this is a
0: what-if story.
1: And then uh, they go. They clone Jesus. It's on a reality show. It's the top-rated show. They're making all this money off people's uh faith. and um, And it shows these difficult decisions. And then... But Jesus is growing up in this modern era, and they, they're they calling him Chris. And he ends up becoming the lead singer for a punk rock band. And then all the, the people who have really intense faith get real confused because he starts saying a lot of this anti-establishment stuff because he's being held captive by this company who cloned him. Right. He's pretty much their property. And then, uh, I mean, it's just real, real interesting.
0: It was definitely, like I said, just one of those... Uh outside-of-the-box stories that, you know, is just nothing else out there like it. And that, you know, I can't say it enough, that's the great thing about Vertigo, is you're going to find stories in this line that you won't find anywhere else. You know, you, you read a lot of superhero comics or, you know, pick a genre, uh, you're going to get a lot of similar stuff. I mean, you talk about... Uh, Marvel and DC's marquee characters and and most of the time they're dealing with uh, alternate dimensions and rips in the time space continuum and super villains and uh, the thing about Vertigo is there's just a lot of fresh ideas, a lot of out of the box thinkers writing for this line and, and that's something that has continued to present day which is just you know, more of a reason to start picking up some of these great books. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking to, uh, do your own podcast, uh, come on down to Hotcast Studios in Beverly, Mass. And you're going to want to talk to a man named Nathan Burke. Uh, he's a great guy. He's a New England comic and he also owns the studio. And you can reach him at nburk 18 at gmail.com. Also, his number is 978-994-0201. That is Hotcast Studios for all of you aspiring podcasters out there. Fantastic plug. And I think with that, uh, this concludes yet uh, another episode of the Vigilant Geek podcast. My name is Andrew
1: Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media. And I am Holden Orm of Vigilant Geek Media. And, and as, as always, always stay, stay vigilant. vigilant.